As we uh, enter 2016, and we just started it, it's a time of year that many people make resolutions and start with resolutions. Uh, You want to be bold? Show of hands. How many have made resolutions going into 2016? Oh, very few, very few. No, either that or we don't have any bold people. How many, you're learning, or you're learning, what have you learned, that you usually break them by January 3rd? Should I ask the same show of hands? How many of you made them and already broke them, and that's why you didn't raise your hand? It's that time of year. Whether you make them or not, I think we all start looking back on the year that was and looking forward to the year that's going to be. And whether you call it a resolution, whether you call it a change, whether you call it a commitment, I think we all come to this time of year and we just think about things we'd like to do better in this coming year. We do it as individuals. We certainly do it as a society and in our world. Uh, this time of year, you know, the, I noticed the magazine covers change this time of year. You know, you go through the uh, checkout counter and in December... All the magazine covers, or a lot of the magazine covers, are like how to make, you know, delicious triple chocolate, you know, marshmallow cake that everyone's going to love. And then you go through this week, like you go through January, and it's like cooking with kale. And it's, you know, <laughs> and every, you know, how to cook healthy, right? And it's, and it's quinoa, and what to do with that, and how to pronounce it, uh, Everything changes, right? Because people are like, oh, December was like this, this time we're indulgent. Uh, and all of a sudden we're starting a new year and we're thinking, oh, I better start making some changes. And people are thinking that way. Some people, it'll be about their health. Maybe you're going to eat less. Maybe you're going to eat differently. Maybe you're going to exercise more. Uh, many people, maybe it's going to be, I'm going to be a better dad. I'm going to be a better mom. I'm going to be a better student this year. Or uh, a lot of financial goals are set. Going to save a little more, spend a little less, get out of debt. This, this is going to be the year we're going to get out of debt. This is going to be the year we're going to start the college fund. This is going to be the year we're going to start putting our money away for retirement. A lot of financial goals. Many people will try to do a lot of things this year to make their life better, to make 2016 different from 2015. Maybe you're setting some spiritual goals this year. Now, this is going to be the year that I'm going to attend church regularly every single week. You're off to a good start if you're here this morning. This is going to be the year I'm going to read through my Bible. This is going to be the year that I'm going to read through my Bible twice. This is going to be the year that I'm going to pray regularly. You know, we start those things and we start those goals. I want to talk to you this morning about one resolution that I don't want you to make in 2016. One resolution not to make in 2016. And on this first Sunday of the new year, there's one thing that we often try to do, people often try to do, and if you try to do this in 2016, I promise you it'll make you worse and not better. It's something that people throughout history have often tried to do and no one has been able to do. It's something that many of us are tempted to try, but better off if we don't. As your pastor, it's the one thing I do not want you to try to do in 2016, but you will likely be tempted to try it anyway. The one thing I don't want you to do in 2016, try to do, and the one thing I think you and I will probably be tempted to try and do anyway is this, try to earn your salvation. It's, it's one thing that 
I don't want you to try to do in 2016, but the truth is, knowing human nature, knowing you, knowing me, we're going to try to do it anyway. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not even a Christian. You're not sure if, if, uh, if you even believe in God, but you're here this morning and, and you are sitting in a church and you say, well, I don't know if that's going to be me in 2016. I'm not even a Christian, but I, knowing human nature, my guess about you is at some point in 2016, even if you don't believe, even if you're not a Christian, even if you're not a follower of Christ, if you're sitting in a church on a Sunday morning on a cold day in January, you are at least considering the fact that there may be a God. And if you're considering that fact, then at some point during this year, I would venture to guess that you will probably think, well, if there is a God, I should probably have some leverage with him at the end of this life. And so you'll do some things and you'll think, well, that's got to count with God. You'll do some things throughout 2016 and you'll think, I hope my good things outweigh my bad things so that if there is a God, that it counts for something. Even people that don't believe in God often try and earn their salvation. Mayor Michael Bloomberg, the former mayor of New York, uh, one day when he went to his college, 50th college reunion, and he went there, he was 72 years of age, and he was reflecting on his life, and he was thinking about uh, many of his friends that had already passed away, and there was a guy there who was interviewing him, and the interviewer said, but if Bloomberg senses that he may not have much time left as he would like, as much time left as he would like, he has little doubt about what would await him at Judgment Day. Pointing to his work on gun safety, obesity, and smoking cessation, he said with a grin, Bloomberg said, I'm telling you, if there is a God, when I get to heaven, I'm not stopping to be interviewed. I'm heading straight in. I have earned my place in heaven. It's not even close. Even people who don't believe in God will think about trying to earn their salvation, trying to earn their way in. Now, those of us who are Christian, perhaps you're sitting here this morning and you say, Pastor Rick, look, I'm a Christian. I know what it is to be saved, and there's no way that I'm going to be tempted in 2016 to try and earn my salvation. How could any Christian ever even fall into that trap? I would simply point you to most of the letters in the New Testament. Most of the letters that Paul, the Apostle Paul, was writing to Christians when he time and time again had to tell them, stop putting your faith in your works. Stop trying to earn your salvation. Stop trying to finish in the flesh what was begun in the Spirit. The truth is, whether you are here this morning, whether you are a Christian or not a Christian, you will be tempted in the next year to try and earn points with God to try and even earn your salvation. And I want to talk to you this morning about why it is so important that we avoid that one resolution. I want to talk on this first Sunday of the year very clearly and very pointedly about what is the gospel. Just to set the agenda for our year to make sure we're clear on what is this thing that God calls us to. I think there's many reasons why some of us will be tempted to try and earn our salvation in 2016. Just as humans, there's reasons. For one, we like to have scoreboards. We like to know where we stand, and we like to think that what we do counts for something. We like scoreboards. 
We seem to think that it's fair. Look, if I do something, it ought to count for something with someone, and it's a fair system. We also, I think as humans, sometimes we just don't like accepting charity, accepting love without giving something for it. You ever go to a restaurant, and the bill comes, and you, start, you grab the bill, and the person across the table from you grabs the bill, and you're fighting over the bill. My son thinks this is crazy. Anytime we go to eat and this happens, he's like, Dad, just let the guy pay. What's your problem? It's like, he's like, I do, I do not get this. But there's something within us that doesn't want to take something for nothing. There's something within us that always wants to contribute, that doesn't want to owe anyone anything. And so when it comes to salvation, I think there's something within us that always wants to pay for something. We want to contribute something. We want to add something. And you and I will be tempted in 2016 to do that when it comes to our salvation. But I want us to look at a passage this morning that talks very clearly about the fact that that is something and a resolution we should not make and something we should not even try or attempt in 2016 or any time in our lives and about the danger of trying to earn our salvation. Titus chapter 3, if you have your Bible... I encourage you to open it to Titus chapter 3, New Testament, kind of towards the back of the Bible, page 1349 in my Bible. Titus chapter 3. In this passage, we're going to see three things. We're going to see what is the basis of our salvation, what is not the basis of our salvation, and what about good works? Three things. What's the basis of our salvation? What is not the basis of our salvation? And what about good works? Titus chapter 3, beginning in verse 1 and going through verse 8, the apostle Paul writing to Titus says this, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and to show true humility toward all men. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that all those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Paul, in this passage, addresses these things. What's the basis of our salvation? What is not the basis of our salvation? And what of good works? He's very clear on what the basis of our salvation is. The complete and sole basis of our salvation is God's mercy. God's mercy. In fact, there are four words he uses here to describe how we are saved. Listen for them. But when the kindness and the love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy, 
He saved us through the washing of rebirth, the renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. Kindness, love, mercy, and grace. That is how you and I are saved. Not that... Anything we do contributes to it. It is solely and completely salvation based on the kindness, the love, the mercy, and the grace of this Trinitarian God. I love this passage because not only does it affirm this aspect of how we are saved, but did you notice, did you catch this Trinitarian aspect of God, how how all the Trinity is involved in our salvation? The God, our Savior, appeared. He saved us not because of righteous things, but through the washing and rebirth and renewal of the Holy Spirit poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. God, the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, the Son, this Trinitarian uh, God saves us by his love, his kindness, his grace, and his mercy. And Paul is saying in this passage, don't bother trying to earn your salvation because you're not going to. And the truth is God hasn't asked you to. God has offered it to you as a free gift. God offers you this free gift God offers me this free gift out of his love and his kindness and his grace and his mercy. And that is solely and completely with my salvation, what your salvation rests upon. That's the basis of it. But let me get to the second point. What's not the basis of our salvation? What is not the basis of our salvation? In verse 5, he says this. He saved us not because of righteous things we had done. Sin, repression, and good works contribute nothing to your salvation or my salvation. The repression of sin, the doing of good works, contribute nothing to your salvation and to my salvation. Those things we try and do, and we should try and do, but do not earn any aspect of our salvation. We think about the do's and do nots in Scripture. We often think about some of the words in the Old Testament. But the Old Testament law was given not to show us a way we can achieve our salvation, but to clearly show we cannot achieve our salvation. And when you look at the Old Testament, you look at all these laws and these, and these rules, and you say, who can possibly keep them? And the answer that God and heaven responds with is no one. One man alone kept them. His name was Jesus. And when you put your faith and trust in him, that is how you receive salvation. Our sin repression And our good works contribute nothing to our salvation. See, the problem is we don't have a sin issue. We have a sin nature that cannot be managed but needs to be destroyed and a new birth needs to come. Jesus, when he was approached by a man at night, recorded in John chapter 3, man's name was Nicodemus. Nicodemus approached Jesus asking him about his teachings and asking him about salvation. 
And Jesus said, he gave this phrase that we use today, and we sometimes don't even realize where it comes from, but it comes from John chapter 3, when Jesus says, you must be born again. And here's what he's saying to this man. You have everything you've done has not contributed anything to your salvation. You have to completely put your trust in God. See, here's a man, Nicodemus, who was a good man. He was a righteous man. He was a religious leader. He was a, most likely by this stage in his life, if he was on the Sanhedrin, he was older, he was wealthy, and he was respected. He was upright and moral. And Jesus says, you got to be born again. you got to start over, Nicodemus. Everything you've done does not contribute to your new birth in Christ. See, when a baby's born, I've been to two births. The baby didn't do much. The baby didn't do a lot in the birth to be born. And the same thing with you and I. When it comes to our new birth in Christ, it's not about what we do. It's about what God has done and who God is. And so Jesus goes to Nicodemus and he says, you have to be born again. You have to start. You have to go back to the beginning. All your works don't add or count toward your salvation. And so it is with us. The basis of your salvation and the basis of my salvation is not the repression of sin, is not good works that we do, but it's solely on the grace and mercy and love and kindness of God. The problem with the scoreboard thing and the problem with trying to earn our salvation is we often take the opportunity to define good for ourselves and never allow God to define good. Um, In a little book that uh, Pastor Crosby, who pastored this church just before me, wrote, uh, Rules Over Relationship, we're going to give it to you on your way out. Uh, Some of you have gotten it before, and if you have, take another copy and give it to someone else. Uh, And he writes about this aspect of being careful not to elevate rules over relationship with God and what the relationship between those two is. And he says, you know, just because you feel good does not mean that you are good. And secondly, he says, we might be more accurate to define good this way. Got our own definition. Good. Got our own definition. Most of us would probably say that we're good, but we have our own definition of good instead of looking at what the Bible and what Scripture says. But the truth is, when we think about our good works, they don't contribute anything to our salvation. It's like this. If I can, let me put it in a little bit of a narrative in a story format to illustrate it for you. Uh, Suppose that tonight you had to get to Hawaii. Now, for some reason or another, yeah, we'd all like to go, right? Yeah, it's 20-something degrees out. It's going to be 7 on Tuesday. God bless you in that. It's going to be seven. Uh, seven degrees, yes. So to, I suppose tonight you had to get to Hawaii. And you had to be there by this evening, and you had no way to get there. You had no plane ticket. You had no money to buy a plane ticket. You had no way to c- convince someone to buy you a plane ticket, get on a plane. But you had to be in Hawaii tonight. You can't walk there. You can't drive there. And you've got no way of getting there. But then someone in here, you know, hears that you need to be in Hawaii tonight. And they say, oh, you know what? 
I, I've got a private plane parked over at Hanscom. And you know what? I'm not using it for a while. Why don't you take it and head over to Hawaii tonight? You know what? Be my guest. Head over to Hawaii. Jump on it, and it's yours. And you can't believe it, but you, you can't believe what's being offered. And you question. You say, are you sure? And, oh, yeah, yeah, no, take it. No problem. It's all fueled up. Pilot's there, ready to go. Just, you know, I'll follow the flight plan, and, and, and you can head out. And you drive over to Hanscom, and you drive out to the hangar, and there's this beautiful Gulf Stream out there, all fueled up, all ready to go. You don't even have to go through the, the security checks. And you get on the plane, and you take off, wheels up, heading to Honolulu. And you're on this plane, and suddenly you look around, and you realize, man, whoever was on this plane last was a pig. Like, this place is a mess. And there's trash everywhere, and there's, like, the drinks spilled everywhere, and the carpets, and this place is a mess. And so you just start picking up the plane, and you think, well, I've just got 12 hours here. Start, so you start picking up the trash, and you throw that away, and then you look through the cabinets, and, and you find some, some cleaning products, and you decide, well, I'm going to start cleaning up the plane. And so you start cleaning off the leather seats, and, and then you start, you find a little vacuum, and you start vacuuming the carpet, and then you wipe, we're wiping down the walls and cleaning the windows, and you don't even realize it, but you spent nearly the whole 12 hours of the flight cleaning this plane. And then you finally land, Honolulu, and you land at the airport, and, and you get there, and you get off the plane, and the, and the weather's beautiful, and, and a friend of yours, you know, meets you, and, and, and they can't believe that you were able to get to Hawaii because you had no way of getting there. And they said, well, how did you ever get here? How did you ever get to Hawaii? You know what the most foolish thing in the world to say would be? I cleaned my way to Hawaii. I, you, I cleaned my way to Hawaii. That's the most foolish thing in the world to say because that had nothing to do with getting you to Hawaii. You didn't build the plane. You didn't buy the plane. You didn't fuel the plane. You didn't do anything to contribute to getting you to paradise. Just cleaned along the way. And it's similar with our salvation and our walk with God. We might do a lot of work. We might work really hard while we're in this world of God's that's kind of messy and can use some cleaning up. You might work really hard at it, but it doesn't contribute one iota to your salvation. It doesn't contribute one bit to you getting to paradise or you getting to heaven. It's not about your good works. It's not about your sin repression. You didn't buy the plane. You didn't... You didn't provide any of the fuel. Your cleaning does not move you one foot closer to Hawaii, and your good works do not move you one inch closer to heaven. It is solely upon the grace, the love, the mercy, and the kindness of God. But if the basis of our salvation is not good works, then what role do good works play, you might ask? God seems pretty concerned about us living an upright and holy life, but if they don't contribute to our salvation, then what gives? What role do they play? Well, there's two things to understand in this third point. Two things to understand when it comes to good works for the Christian. 
And the first thing to understand is this, that motivation matters to God. The first thing to understand is that motivation matters to God. When we approach God, sometimes we think he is recording our actions, and if we do good things, he's pleased, and if we do bad things, he's displeased. But did you know that there are times that we can do good things that God asked us to do, and he would be displeased? Do you know there are times that we can do good things, things God asked us to do, and God still wouldn't be happy with that or pleased with that? It happened pretty often in the Old Testament and in the Bible, actually. There would be times, see, God had laid out many practices for people. God had laid out a sacrificial system, a way to be worshipped. And there were times when they would bring the sacrifices that God had asked them to bring. And there are times that God would rebuke them for it. Like in Isaiah chapter 11, when he says, the multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me? Or he says, stop bringing meaningless offerings to me. Or in Psalm chapter 40, God says, sacrifice and offerings you did not desire. How is it that God can command his people to do something, then when they do it, he gets angry with them for doing it? How can God say you should offer sacrifices, the people offer sacrifices, and then God calls them meaningless? Because it's about the motivation that they were bringing them with. Because God says, these people are bringing sacrifices to me, but their hearts are far from me. Their hearts are far from me. They're bringing them for some other reason. They're bringing them out of obligation. They're bringing them because they want to get something from me. They're bringing them for themselves, but they're not bringing them out of love and worship for me. And so they're meaningless. And so when it comes to good works with God, motivation matters. Motivation matters. It's not about earning something with God or doing it out of obligation. It's being motivated by a love and adoration for what God has done and for who God is. It makes a difference. Motivation matters. You know when someone does something for you strictly out of obligation, it does not have the same meaning as when someone does something you out of love. I mean, that's the mark, right? When kids get older, then they're young, they do things out of obligation, and, and it's good enough just to get them in the habit of doing something that they know they're supposed to do. But oh, that day when it comes, when they do it, and they do it just because I love you, Mom, and just because I love you, Dad, and just because you're my dad, and just because you're my mom, and then they do it, and you know that their love has grown. And it's the same thing with the Lord. He said, you're doing these out of obligation. You're, you, you're, they're, they're meaningless to me. Last month, uh, we went to visit uh, Wendy's family for Thanksgiving out in Lubbock, Texas. If you haven't been to Lubbock, Texas, you don't need to. But I'll just tell you, there's no real reason. I'm just, look, there's no real reason to go to Lubbock if you don't have family there. It's, it's all right. It's a great place. Texas Tech University is there. It's a nice little town, but you know, they have a wind museum. Um, any place that builds a museum to wind. Um, not a lot going on there. Um, but we go out to Lubbock because we love family there and because we love our family. 
And we, and we go out there, and we have, a, we have a great time out there on the plains of West Texas, and, and we love our family, and they love us, and so we go out there to be with them, and we had a great time. We had a wonderful visit with them. We had a you know, wonderful time being with family. We want our kids to be with their grandparents, and, and it was great. We had a wonderful visit there. But it's not easy getting to Lubbock, Texas. Uh, there's no direct flights from Boston to Lubbock. There's just... Not a lot of people going there straight from Boston. So you got to go through Dallas or some other city, sometimes Houston, sometimes Denver, um, to get there. But what if when I landed in Lubbock last month, when we landed in Lubbock and, and, uh, and, and the kids' grandparents came up to us and said, Oh, we're so glad that you're here. What if my response was, Well, we're supposed to be here. Well, you, you're family, and this is what families do. Um, we figured out what would be the societally acceptable amount of time for us to be here. And uh, we booked tickets for that amount of time because it's the holidays and families are expected to be together, and so we came. Uh, right? And we said, you know, you know, so we're here because we're supposed to be here. I mean, it doesn't have quite the same ring as, oh, we're so glad to see you. We couldn't wait to get here, Right? Because motivation matters. And when we're strictly motivated out of earning something from God or out of doing it out of obligation, God isn't really interested in those kinds of sacrifices. He's interested in the sacrifice of a loving heart. It's about the activity and it's about the motivation behind it. If our good actions are motivated by winning God's favor or out of some obligation, God has no time for that. The proper motivation is our love and adoration and worship to a God who loves us, who is kind, who extends his grace, and who extends his mercy. The second thing we need to understand about works is that they are the fruit and not the root. Titus chapter 3 verse 8 says very clearly we should be about good works. This is a trustworthy saying and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. Doing what is good is important to God. Living holy lives is important to God. Doing good works is important to God. But it's equally important to understand that they are the fruit and not the root of your salvation. That those good works that you do should naturally come out of a loving, adoring relationship with a holy God who loves you and is kind to you and is gracious and is merciful to you, but they are the fruit and not the root of your salvation. Your salvation is not because of the good works that you do. You and I contribute absolutely nothing to our salvation. Good works no more contribute to your salvation than cleaning the plane contributed to getting you to Hawaii. You would clean the plane because you're so grateful for the generosity and kindness of someone who gave you the plane ride. And you and I do good works because we're so grateful for the generosity and the love and the grace of someone who allows us into the presence of a holy God who promises us heaven and promises of himself for no other reason than he is loving and kind and gracious and merciful. Because of who he is and what he has done and not because of who we are and what we have done. And so we work and we do good works for him because he is worthy and because that's who he calls us to be. 
And so we do these good works out of love, out of love for a generous and gracious God. And so in 2016, the one resolution I don't want you to try to keep is to try and earn your salvation. What I want us to do is be able to fall on the grace and love of our God. What does that look like? How do you know when you're tempted to try or when you may be trying to earn your salvation or you're tempted to put your faith in your good works? Let me try and close with this and give you a picture of what that might look like. I think when we have a lack of grace and mercy toward others, we might look at ourselves and say, when we don't extend the same grace and mercy to others that God has extended to us, it may be that we are putting our, too much of our faith in good works and not in the grace and mercy of God, that we have not experienced that in our lives. When we have a lack of joy in our lives, it may be that we are not overwhelmed by the grace and mercy and love and kindness of God. When we have a lack of patience with others, it may be that we have not understood the patience of God with us. When we condemn ourselves for a lack of good works rather than throwing ourselves on the grace of God. Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. And yet we sometimes condemn ourselves for a lack of good works. Let me close sharing this story that's um, not an easy one to share, but I'll share it with you for the sake of uh, hopefully it's helpful to you. A few weeks ago, I, uh, I was at a CVS and I went, to, uh, I went to a CVS and I went to the pharmacy counter and because I had to get something, I wanted to get something changed on my, um, some, one of the records that they keep there. And so I went to the counter and uh, there was no line there and uh, it was a pretty quiet morning. I went up to the counter, there was a young man behind the counter and I told him I need to you know, get this changed on my records. And, and he said, oh, you, have to, you can't, can't do that here, you have to go, the pharmacist has to do that at the other end of the counter. And, uh, and for some reason, that really frustrated me. And I don't know why. But here's the guy, and I'm like, there's a computer right in front of you. There's nobody here. You know you can change it. I know you can change it. What's the problem? And so I, I, I was very frustrated, but uh, I had to walk down the other end of the counter, which took all of about three seconds from my important life. But while walking from one end of the counter to the other, I, under my breath, mumbled something just loud enough for the guy behind the counter to hear me to know that I thought their system was dumb. And I walked to the other end of the counter, and, and, and the pharmacist was there, and she was able to change what I wanted to be changed, and it took all of maybe seven seconds to change that. Perhaps 30 seconds of my valuable life to walk from one end to the other and do this. And yet I was frustrated. And I walked out of that CVS mad. And I was not mad at the person behind the counter. I was mad at the person who was walking out of the CVS. Because I couldn't believe that I would allow myself to get that frustrated and that upset over something so silly as having to walk from one end of the counter to the other. 
And I walked out of that CVS, and I was upset at myself, and I was mad at myself. And, he, and this, not only that, this was a Monday. And here I am thinking, less than 24 hours earlier, I was in this room, on this platform, praising God, preaching God's word, praying for the church. And less than 24 hours later, I'm frustrated with someone just doing their job at a store. And I was mad at myself. I don't know if you've ever had, maybe that's just me. Maybe the only one that happens to. But here's the thing, and here's the thing, here's where I think it relates to this morning. I got mad at myself because I, you know, I don't want to act like that. I don't want to be that kind of person. But here's what I found myself, and here's the thoughts that I found going through my head. And maybe you hear this script going through your head sometimes. You call yourself a pastor? You call yourself a Christian? You're not a, how can you call yourself a Christian and act like that? How can you call yourself a Christian, a follower of Jesus, and have just acted and treated someone like that? And I hear these, all of a sudden these thoughts are going through my mind. You're not who those people think you are. You're not who, and maybe this goes through your mind sometimes, you're not who your friends think you are. You're not who other people think you are. You're a hypocrite. You're not really a Christian. How can you be a follower of Jesus and act like that? And I thought about it more throughout the day, and I prayed about it. And here's what occurred to me. Here's what I was doing. In that moment, I was resting my salvation on my good works. On that moment... I was saying that the reason I'm saved and the reason I'm a Christian is because I treat people well. And when I don't treat people well, then that would indicate that I'm not a Christian and not saved. See, we do this. This is how, this is how we're tempted. This is how the enemy tempts us to put our salvation and rest it on our works rather than saying, God, I am a sinner I am a work in progress, and God, I need your grace and your mercy and your love and your kindness, and forgive me, and I confess my sin, and I throw myself upon your grace. But too often, we run this script through our head, and what we're doing is we're saying the cross isn't enough. Need my good works, too. Cross isn't enough. I've got to contribute something, too. And it's those moments when we are putting and tempted to put our trust in ourselves. Alistair Begg, Pastor Alistair Begg, one of my uh, favorite preachers I love listening to, he talks about salvation this way in three, in three uh, aspects. He says, I have been saved from the penalty of sin. I am being saved from the power of sin. I will one day be saved from the presence of sin. I have been saved from the penalty of sin. I am being saved from the power of sin. I will one day be saved from the penalty of sin. If you want to use fancier words, you can say justification, sanctification, and glorification. I am justified. I have been saved from the penalty of sin. I am being sanctified, being saved from that power of sin over my life. One day I will be glorified with Christ where we will be removed from the presence of sin completely. 
But when we're in that middle area, when we're in that middle area, if we start to rest our salvation on our works, we are going down a path that will lead us away from the grace of God and towards resting our salvation on ourselves. Every other religion but Christianity, salvation is based on good works. The Christian faith is the only belief system in which my good deeds flow out of, not out of earning God's favor, but out of the reality that in spite of the fact I do not deserve it, I have received God's favor. This new year, may we resolve to do what God's calling us to do, not out of obligation, but out of adoration. Not to earn love, but because we've received it. Not to gain points, but to point to the work of Christ in our lives. And may all of us this year learn to fall upon the grace of God and not be tempted by the enemy to try and earn God's favor. It's the fruit and not the root. So in 2016, try not to try when it comes to earning God's favor, when it comes to earning your salvation. Because we will all, saints throughout history, have been tempted to rest their salvation on their works. But that's a path that will lead not to the grace of God, but to legalism and to really spiritual death if you continue to follow that path because it, it scorns the cross and puts yourself in the place of Jesus as Savior.